sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, uh, I'm Nate Larkin here with Aaron Porter. Uh, you and I, we've we've put some miles behind us in the last month or so. We've uh, last couple of months, we've traveled around, we've crossed the pond, we've gone east, we've gone west. We had a good time in Colorado. We were down in Albuquerque and ran out of time. Uh, so uh, you made you made a promise to those folks. You want to fill the listeners in? Yeah, we had a we had a great time doing a Q and A, but you had already uh, done talking about your life and and so we 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 saw them fading it was getting late but we asked people to text in their questions so that they could be extra personal and yeah. vulnerable not having to stand up at a microphone and so we had a whole bunch of texts we did not answer and we said we would answer them here so we're about to do questions from Albuquerque but first <laughs> I've got a little intro song that I made for okay. this so uh Sean hit it it's questions from Albuquerque. Questions from Albuquerque here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right. First question <laughs> from the questions from Albuquerque. All right. Here it goes. I am alone in bed at night and it's 1 a.m. I have to work at 7, but I can't sleep. And I know that acting out will fix the problem. What do I do? <laughs> you know, I, I so resonate with that question because that was uh, a, a habituated part of my functioning for years and years and years. I could, in fact, I actually told myself that I couldn't go to sleep without uh, an orgasm. I did not understand at that point in my life that uh, porn and masturbation or any other kind of sexual acting out was uh, a, 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 a stress avoidance or a stress relief uh, 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 activity. It, it was a coping mechanism. It was a way that I tried to medicate the, un, the pain that came from the uncertainty of distress. But rather than, than face the distress, deal with the distress, do something else with the distress, I just medicated it. Yeah. So the solution, oh, yeah, the solution. The solution. Yeah. <laughs> the solution is to face the distress before you go to bed. Uh, one of the ways, one of the good ways to do it, I, I forget where I got this piece of, uh, advice, but I found it very helpful. If before I go to bed, I pull out a piece, uh, a, a, a notebook, and I write down all of the issues that I need to face tomorrow uh, mm -hmm. and just put them on paper, they are no longer in my head. Uh, I have acknowledged that they're real, so they don't have to spin around in my head as though they're not being acknowledged. I've faced them. I've put them on paper. I've made them official. Yeah. Uh, it it's then makes it a whole lot easier for me to detach and unplug. 
Now, uh, now the, the Sunday school answer is to not only write them down, but pray about them, which is, I'm certain, very, very good advice. Uh, okay. I'm not going to pretend that I that I always uh, have carried them all to the Lord in prayer before I go to sleep. So, okay. That's one way to say, what are, what are the things stressing me out? But yeah. this has got to take some practice because mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I go to bed often not feeling like I'm stressed out. But if I wake up in the middle of the night, that is my core worry time. Like yeah, if I uh-huh. wake up and I start thinking through right. stuff, yeah. I will feel fear about them when mm-hmm. I know that I'm not going to feel afraid at 9 a.m. Right, yeah. But I'm not, I'm not going to be able to access that before bed, usually, because they usually uh-huh. surprise me, the topics. Oh, you get mugged in the middle of the night. Ooh, yeah. I like that. Yes, I totally get mugged in the middle of the night when, mm-hmm. when that happens. So yeah. how, is that just a matter of practice where I know the types of things I might wake up thinking about, and so I practice writing them down, or... Yeah, I, I do think that that um, a proactive approach, if you acknowledge them before you go to bed, it's, you know, when we go to sleep, we're able to function when, when we've got all of our shields up. We got our denial mechanisms working at full force and we're holding all those fears at bay. And then, you know, we finally fall asleep and our defenses drop and then, you know, they can mug us and wake us up. Mm-hmm. If we can, if we can consciously lower those barriers before we go to sleep, and acknowledge those very real fears and threats that haunt us, you know, the feelings that that we have been trained to suppress, as pointless as that is, uh, and and we can put those fears on paper. I think the odds that they'll be able to wake us up in the morning greatly diminish. Uh, in the in the middle of the night, greatly diminish. Well, I want to add one more piece to this okay. solution. Uh, it's maybe a little less practical, but it's in the way that our friend phrased it, where he said, "I know acting out will fix the problem." Yeah, and and I don't know what was in their mind when they wrote that. If that was a, a little joke, um, mm-hmm. we know that sure it'll fix one problem, but it's just creating <laughs> other problems. But but the the way it's phrased made me think of the book that we both liked a lot by Alan Carr about drinking. What was Mm -hmm. that called? How to Quit Drinking Easy or something? The Easy Way. The The, Easy Way to Control Alcohol, right? Yeah. yeah. And that whole book is basically him saying, you don't really want to drink because you know, and it's just chapter after chapter after chapter of telling you why you really think it's a dumb idea. Right. And I think that's Part of what, with any of these habituated times, doesn't even have to be mm-hmm. the middle of the night. Maybe it's, right. you know, at some break or on the weekend when I know everybody's going to be gone, I'm home alone, anything like that, where mm-hmm. I feel like, oh, that's my time, that mm-hmm. I need to start thinking through, you know what, though, I really don't think that's going to be handy, and here's why, and start to really list Here's what it's going to cost me. Right, yeah. Un- until it starts to lose a little of its flavor. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, to forward the tape. Uh, here And here's another, uh, another hint. Uh, uh, 
In NA, they call this surfing the urge. Any urge to use can only be sustained for a, a, a limited length of time. If you can, rather than give in to the urge, if you can surf the urge, just ride the edge of it, that wave will fade. And it typically takes no more than 15 minutes. Now, instead of running from the wave, hiding from the wave, just search, you know, surf the urge, but do it consciously. And while you're riding that urge and acknowledging that it's there, you can also be running the tape forward so that you're seeing the consequences of uh, you know, the consequences that would come if you would follow through on the urge. And it will eventually diminish. It can't maintain that intensity forever. It's interesting. I was just uh, thinking about a verse and writing about it yesterday uh, when Paul's talking about the uh, the flesh and the spirit and how they're, they're opposed to each other. But in the end, yeah. it says... What the flesh is doing is trying to keep me from what I really want to do. Yeah. And I, I love the way the verse is phrased because it's saying, I, I know this is what you want to do. This is in your heart. You don't yeah. want to be acting out in this way, and I believe you. Yeah. And all my flesh is trying to do is keep me from what I really want to do. And damn it, mm-hmm. that kind of pisses me off a little bit. And I need just a little bit of piss and vinegar to do almost anything. <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and, and I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, well, good question. Uh, we will definitely have more coming up. Uh, how's everything okay in your world? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything is, uh, we're cruising along real well right now. I'm just super, super grateful today. And you? Well, as you know, it's a complicated season in my life. Yeah, I do. I do know that. And I'm glad that uh, you're not alone in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can we can talk more about that some other time. But for now, that was a, that was a good question. Fun answers. I don't want to bring down the mood. Let's get to our guest. Let's get to a good conversation with a very impressive young man. I, well, I, we've got a, yeah, yeah. We got a guest who, first of all, he knows about the urge. And uh, he also knows about uh, taking active steps to counter an urge. Yeah, actually, this is the perfect question for this interview. If you didn't get enough practical from that answer, well, our our buddy's going to give you some other ideas. All right. And you'll get to hear from Jason Matthew when we return on the Pirate Monk Podcast. This episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast is sponsored by LifeWorks Counseling. Our good friends, Roan and Eva Hunter and their son, Roe, are not just members of the Samson Society, Sarah Society. They are also trauma-informed, certified sex addiction therapists with a tremendous amount of experience. Well, they and their team of counselors and recovery coaches are based in Madison, Mississippi, but thanks to the internet, they're able to work with people who live almost anywhere. So to find out more about what LifeWorks Counseling can do for you as an individual or as a couple or as a family, or to register for one of their upcoming intensives, go to lifeworks.ms, lifeworks.ms. Welcome back to the Power Monk Podcast. 
Hey, our guest this week is Jason Matthew. He is the creator, the founder. Gosh, I don't even know what uh, your title is, Jason, in the company or what the name of the company is. I know you developed an accountability software called Lead Me Not. That's correct. And founders, yeah. founders, perfect. <laughs> Founder, okay, good, good. Yeah, and uh, and now you're still a young guy. You're in your early thirties, right? Yep, that's right. Thirty, uh, just turned thirty-two. Okay, and you're not in Silicon Valley. You're in Tulsa. Right, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, and you're a Christian. So, uh, tell us uh, how. How did the idea for Lead Me Not or the awareness that there might be a market for such a product yeah. come to you? Yeah, no, great question. And, and thanks, guys, for having me here. It's a, it's a real honor and privilege. Um, you know, my, my story starts to, to really tell it in its entirety. It starts back in 2013. So right after college, um, went to school in Virginia. My first job was out in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And I... Prior to that, had never dated, had uh, really no interactions with uh, women outside of, you know, some friendships here and there, of course, of yeah. high school and college and um, no real depth. So by the time I graduated, I was really excited about the idea of dating. Mm -hmm. And uh, with that excitement came a lot of curiosities as well. And mm -hmm. uh, in 2013, Tinder was still was very new, and they just mm -hmm. released their Android uh, version. I'm, I'm an Android guy through and through, still today. So okay. the first thing I did was uh, I downloaded Tinder. It's like, hey, I've, I've never done this before. What easier way than using online dating? And then over the course of you know five to seven years in using that software, uh, I realized later that's when I really became convicted around the idea that I was using online dating as a way to fulfill a deeper desire for me. Cause what would happen was I would go on these dates and I would hook up with women uh, and I would feel very guilty and then I would delete the app and then I'd go back to it a month later or maybe two mm -hmm. or three months later. And there's constant cycles. So in 2018 um, I'd become really convicted of that after moving to Austin, Texas started in uh, recovery. And as I started recovery at my church, the Austin Stone, I started to explore accountability software. And in using what was out in the market at the time, I realized, hey, nothing was really fitting my use case, right? My need. Because mm -hmm. it wasn't pornography for me. It was uh, the apps. It was going beyond these boundaries that I told myself I would set. So that's yeah. what eventually gave idea uh, birth to the idea that, hey, is there a better way to actually approach accountability by way of digital wellness? Thus, lead me not. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, now, I, I have to ask. You told the yeah. story like it, you know, is, is a normal story, but <laughs> you... you you said you graduated from college and started getting interested in dating women. <laughs> right. What was happening between like 13 and the end <laughs> of college? Like, help me understand. Yes, yes. Fair, fair. He was focused entirely. He was doing homework. Come on. Right. I, exactly. I, I know. And and homework always kept me from lust. But, you know. <laughs> fair. fair. Aaron, you caught me. You caught me. No. Um, that's a great point. So, Yeah. As much as I wasn't interested in dating, 
because of homework and because of ambitions and let me get an internship and what is my job going to be post-college? Uh, I was first exposed to pornography at the age of, of 13. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe standard as, as many American teenager millennials of like, you know, you hear friends talking about at school or someone pulls something up on a computer in the computer lab. And um, I started to uh, kind of saturate my mind with those thoughts and images. And you could actually argue that uh, pornography perhaps kept me artificially satisfied from wanting to build any real relationships with women. And I had crushes on girls here and there. And it's mm-hmm. not like I didn't talk to girls, but uh, I didn't really care for that and probably also looked to pornography as like, oh, this is actually a solution to this deeper need that I didn't fully understand. And uh, I actually haven't struggled with pornography since 2014, 15. Um, mm-hmm. So when I talk about my story, uh, yes, pornography was central to it in what helps set these building blocks of lust. But I mm-hmm. think what has been the hardest for me in my adult life has been uh, you know, turning to fantasy, but turning to women and memories of mm-hmm. women as like, well, why, why settle for this fake thing is what I would tell myself when I could have the real sure. thing. But even yeah. the real thing at the end of the day is fake because mm-hmm. none of those women are, are my wife. Yeah. So yeah, when you said yeah. you got to that point where you realized this wasn't fulfilling what you really wanted, mm-hmm. what at that point did you realize? And, and was it like a, oh, wow, I just got it? Or you finally settled on, this is what I've wanted, and I'm going to stop replacing it for something fake? Yeah, I. Th- it was a realization, but the reality is, is that it's been a constant fight since the day Mm -hmm. of realization right it was Mm -hmm. when i did my first went through my first 12 step and it it wasn't a celebrate i'm actually going through another 12 step right now in tulsa through celebrate recovery but my first one in austin it was through the the kind of watermark uh, out of dallas and the austin stone kind of uh, adjusted curriculum and it was really powerful because i never had to pause and ask myself why was I doing what I was doing, right? Mm-hmm. So taking inventory and walking through my full life story uh, up until 2018 and then where I was with a sponsor and with another with a set of group of guys who are uh, maybe not struggling with the exact same thing as me, but like, hey, we are recovering from something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That was the point of realization. But I'll say like, and every year since then, if not every quarter or every every month, there's been new realizations and, and new points of kind of insight uh, around, hey, I, I thought I understood what I was trying to do a certain way, and, and now I see it a little bit more clearly. Like even a year after moving to Tulsa, I had a pretty bad relapse. Uh, mm-hmm. This was kind of uh, summer 2021. Mm-hmm. That is when I had relapsed. And even going through that over the course of, you know, nine to 12 months of sitting in despair and real brokenness, I was experiencing things there in that season that were different than before, but kind of the, some of the core reasons were the same, but it, it took different set of triggers and was helping kind of just un, unearth more of the root behind my behavior. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, Nate, when you started going to 12-step meetings, what was the average age of the people in the rooms? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say uh, back then there was very few people under 40. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So so what's what's up with you making that choice in your like mid, mid to late 20s? Yeah. And do you think that is more common for your generation? Because uh, it's it's a fascinating thing, the work you were doing at such a young age. Yeah, man. You know, I think I, I can only attribute it to truly the Lord's kindness and even providence and like the older men that he had surrounded me with um, in my post-college life. And I, because I remember... Even up until coming to Tulsa, like I remember at times struggling with like, man, I wish there were guys around me who were actually single in my age. Instead, mm-hmm. he just put married men 10 years my senior plus <laughs> like at, at everywhere I lived. And I was like, man, these guys aren't struggling with the same stuff that I am. Or I'm just like, we're in you know, different stage of life. But like, man, that was the best thing I needed. That was the best thing for me because yeah. those relationships of discipleship and mentorship kind of set me up for when I was in my mid to early late twenties, I started to like, Oh crap. Like this is really important because I'm hearing guys in their late thirties, forties, fifties talk about stuff they wish they knew when they were my age. So yeah, I don't know if it's, I'm going through a 12 step now, as I said, and a little less than half the group are, uh, early thirties to uh, early twenties, let's say the rest are forty plus. Oh, so, yeah, old. <laughs> not too. <laughs> so I, 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 yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, I will tell you, Jason. I am so yeah. grateful uh, that Tinder was not around when I was your age. Oh yeah. Um, uh, uh, I did not realize. I thought porn was some bit of a kind, some kind of a moral prophylactic that it was my best defense against. Uh, infidelity during my married years uh, that I was, you know, I was meeting my sexual needs without inconveniencing my wife, you know, that kind of rationalization thing going on, unaware that porn was actually grooming me for the next step. Now, the next step for me turned out to be prostitutes. The limiting factor or a couple, uh, one of the big limiting factors on how far I was able to go was money because you got to pay those women. Um, uh, so I went into business and I had more and more money, but still there was, it was, it was limits to what I could do. Sure. Um, the hookup apps have opened up a whole new Vista and removed one of those limiting factors. Well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of guessing that some of those women want to date, right, Jason? I mean, I've never, I've never experienced this, but you're probably I, paying yeah. for dates. I mean, now we're getting into technicalities uh, sure, sure. that are a little awkward, but yeah. I mean, you're, you are paying for it and I'll, I'll say this, you're paying yeah. for dates, but I'd be lying if I said there weren't girls my age or my generation or younger, even older, but probably more younger that also aren't looking for a guy to come along and take care of them financially. And they're not afraid right. to admit it. And even that has been to me, unfortunately, enticing, right? Which like yeah, is sure. a modern modern age prostitution. Right. Yeah. 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 And it also removes the illegality limitation as well. Right. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, uh, no, yeah, but but stuff. but it's 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 a, I'll tell you what it's 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 a it's a different kind of high. It's a deeper hook right. than porn. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. and I, uh, yeah, and so and I know that I've heard the same thing from guys who've broken the code on you know how to you know just approach a stranger and you know and cold and get you know. And, and get her into bed. That can be a real high, and that hook gets set really deep. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the search and the hunt. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so tell us about this app. You used a word, and I forgot it, but it was not a word I was familiar with. Um, but as you're talking about your app, you'll probably say it again, and I'll go. That's the word, Jason. Yeah. Digital <laughs> digital wellness. Thanks. Yeah. I, yeah. That's not a word I'm familiar with. You knew what I was talking about right there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm saying it's a word because I'm hyphenating it in my mind. So it's just sure. one word. Yeah. yeah, I won't get grammatical on it. Maybe, yeah, you're right. Let's say it's one word. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I like, I truly see Lead Me Not as digital wellness with accountability and radical transparency um, with, and say holistic healing not to use buzzwords but truer like i see as the core tenets of what i believe of what what we're doing and what i believe we should be doing to actually mm -hmm. truly enable the recovery journey right because i think nate and i when we first when i first launched lead me not reached out to him about like hey can you guys get me on your resources page and we had a conversation on a couple of phone calls and um you know, I think we would fail and be set up for failure if, if I looked at Lead Me Not simply as like, hey, we can monitor your online behavior and send some alerts. Because I think the, the big picture is how can you use technology again to enable your recovery, um, mm. but not necessarily let it be central to the recovery process. But I think there's mm -hmm. more tech can do today. For example, you can do right now the way Lead Me Not works is you you create digital boundaries for yourself, right? So I don't want to go on these websites. I don't want to be on these apps past this particular time, or maybe I do uh, for certain times of day. But outside of those boundaries, you know, uh, you know, shut me down or send an alert to my partner. We, we prompt users to do an evening reflection to actually ask themselves, hey, what triggered you today? How are you feeling? And mm -hmm. using all of this to start to paint a better picture around, hey, do you actually understand yourself in the context of your digital behavior to eventually get to a place of using all this data that's out there to actually connect your online behavior to your offline behavior? Because uh, imagine we can start to pit, uh, start to make these connections of, hey, from your Google Calendar, we noticed that you were supposed to be at small group today. And you've said that the last few days you've been feeling a particular emotion. Well, we've also tracked your online behavior to determine, like, you've been spending a lot of time on these apps or these websites. Like, how are you doing, right? What mm -hmm. What is truly going on so that you can actually figure out as you know as part of the faster scale let's say as an example hey where do you where do you actually fall on this scale are you in a worse place than you actually think you are this particular day this particular week this particular month again we can't do that yet but with all the kind of building blocks we have today of monitoring 
sending alerts, but then prompting you to really be introspective and reflective. That's where I'm hopeful that we'll be able to get to true heart change. So this is interesting. I was talking with a, a guy who was developing AI technology and trying to ask the question, how can this serve the Christian community? Yeah. How do we get in front of all the hard stuff? And this this was exactly one of our conversations. Yeah, but, really? Okay. But I, I thought one of the biggest hurdles is it's most effective if a person is being asked to give honest answers every day, and the sum total of those answers starts to shape uh, their arousal template, their trigger points, all that stuff, yes. and then they're getting those messages back. But to be that honest, you're basically entrusting your calendar, basically <laughs> your journal with all yeah. of your deepest thoughts to, to just be out there, yeah. and that that would be very scary for most people. So how do you, how do you overcome that? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of ways we could. I think one is just an observation. I've actually been surprised at how many people have opted in to allow us to monitor and track what they're doing today in Lead Me Not. You know, not because we're selling, like we're absolutely not selling or exposing that to anyone except your partners, but I think one thing I've noticed is that people's willingness to actually be open and honest with that, if you instill a level of trust from a data and privacy perspective, there's this point of like, hey, I'm willing to do what it takes if this thing can actually help. I think that's just a general observation I've made. Mm -hmm. um, to, and I think to, to answer your question, it is going to have to take some radical transparency on our end and sharing the right amount of information with users around here's how your data is going to be used um, for all these different things we want to do. Like I'm a big, I'm actually a big proponent. I'm that guy who's saying yes to share data with Google and Facebook and all these guys because, <laughs> because in, in my mind, it's like, man, if this is going to help my experience get better, I don't care if you're selling it to someone because I'm still benefiting in the end is what I've told myself. And so far, I'm, I'm not kicking myself for saying that. For Lead Me Not, on the other hand, we're not ever going to sell this data. The only people who benefit are you and your partners who you've, again, hopefully trusted with. So, But yeah, you're, you're right. There's going to be a level of big level of education and trust building necessary. But I do believe, truly, this can be one of the most powerful use, uses of AI um, and potentially scary ones, but I think more powerful when you think about bringing l true life change and heart change to people who want it. Mm -hmm. So how do you protect that information and what information does go out to a partner? Yeah, so the way that we're protecting data today is we do uh, encryption, data encryption for your data that's in transit. So that means when data is actually being uh, transferred from, you know, your uh, from online activity to your device and your device back to our servers, and then our servers, you know, have to communicate to a couple of other services. All that data is encrypted, um, and I'm not a security guy, so I can't tell you how the encryption works other than it's very standard security practices for data and transit. And then data that's resting in our databases is all encrypted and locked down 
that no one has access to except my development team. Um, and then the information shared with partners is as much as you want it to be. So you can actually say, hey, I want you to monitor my entire device, or you can add exclusions, right? I don't want you monitoring these apps, these websites. Anything else that is being seen by a partner is only based on what's seen as a triggering event. And a triggering event is either based on a standard kind of library of keywords and phrases that we've uh, created on, on our end, like a master list, and then any custom keywords and phrases that you have added. So example, if you said, hey, anytime I'm talking about apples, that's just a bad bad path for me <laughs> to go down. You, I need you to catch me every time. So if you start texting about apples, you're looking at websites with apples and images of apples, then all of whatever you're doing, the text of those activities and descriptions, that's going to your partners. We don't take screenshots or anything, at least not yet. Okay. When, when you say it can be up to them monitoring an entire device. What is what does that mean? If if I was mon if you gave me permission to monitor your device, what would be yeah. showing up to me? Uh, you won't actually see anything as a user, um, except for cases when you go beyond the very boundaries that you set. For example, if you say, "Hey, Jay, lead me not," I I give you permission to monitor my full device. That means. You know, whatever I'm doing in apps, whatever I'm doing on websites, we're analyzing all that activity to see if it's triggering behavior, either okay. based on our master list or based on the boundaries you've set. And those boundaries could be, I don't want to be on Facebook after 10 p.m. every weekday. So then we will search for any Facebook activity. And then once we once we see it, we will immediately alert you, the user, to say, "Hey, you didn't. You said you didn't want to be on Facebook today at this time. You know, what are you doing? Or you know, mm -hmm. you should be going and doing something else." So right now, it's pretty kind of. So is is that a real person that's connecting me, or is it just an email, uh, a generated thing? It it's a it, the we use push notifications in app. So you could, you know, again, you could have your device and then being on Facebook and then you'll see a pop-up notification from Lead Me Not saying like, hey, you said you didn't want to be on Facebook. And then if you have an accountability partner added, mm -hmm. then they would also get that alert. So the idea, the idea here is that between the very people you trust to hold you accountable and um, being reminded of where you're at with by the machine, so to speak, that there would be some change in behavior in that moment. So right. think of it like screen screen time, but with accountability. Yeah, mm. yeah, awesome. Hey, I'm I'm fascinated to how you how this progressed from mm -hmm. an aha moment, an idea, to where you are today. You're sitting in an office in Tulsa. You've got a team. You've got a business. You've got investors, things are rolling. Uh, they're, no. they're, tell us the story. I, I'm a big fan of that show, How I Built This. So give uh, us the so. elevator, How I Built This. Yeah. So you're Reed Hoffman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, when I started Lead Me Not, 
it, it was really more to solve my own problems rather than anything else, right? And my problems plus sitting in those rooms, in the open share rooms at recovery week after week and hearing and hearing the same stories, right? And those stories were, man, I was on this website on this particular day at this time. And then, you know, that turned into that website. And then before I knew it, I was on Pornhub, right? Yeah, like, right, you, right. You, right. These patterns are there, these mm -hmm. digital patterns and triggers. And it just got me thinking of like, man, I know, I think I know what my triggers and patterns are of like, how can we start to track those patterns? How can we help educate and help people understand their own digital behavior, assuming mm -hmm. that most of us don't understand it or aware of it. And I would argue most of us aren't. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it just started there with like a question of can we do this and what's possible? And, you know, the motivation was power, was strong enough when I realized that, you know, I was I'm like, man, I'm truly powerless over my sin. And mm -hmm. Maybe somewhat naively was like, how do I, in my powerlessness, um, give power to the good power, let's say, to the very mm -hmm. thing that I'm trying to overcome? And it is, it does get tricky when you look at the bad guy as your technology or your phone or whatever, mm -hmm. the internet, when it's like, it's not the bad guy as much as it's maybe a bad actor in a greater play of it's all these things, right? It's our childhood, yeah, yeah. it's our trauma. You, you guys know better than me. So, um, and then it just became like, uh, okay, can we do this? What can we do? And it's like, man, I've, if, I, if I ever get the chance to build something and able to fund it on my own, it's going to be now. And it was, again, like I said, well, I was working, maybe I said I was working at IBM at the time. So, Oh, yeah, um, no, you hadn't told us that. Okay, okay. yeah. So I'd, me moving to Austin, Texas in 2018 was to start with IBM. And all these things kind of collided at the same time. So yeah. um, uh, during COVID, right after COVID started, I was like, man, if I'm going to do this thing, it's got to be now. And one of the pastors in my church had encouraged me. I was like, well, you know, you could spend the next year looking for investors, but what if they never come? then mm -hmm. are you ever going to actually do this? And I think that was, I was like, man, I've always had this entrepreneur desire. I've done a couple of things, small, small scale, never fully giving it my all. I was like, maybe this is the thing because I never felt more motivated than, than at the time, uh, again, given the nature of what I was trying yeah. to solve for. So then I found my team of developers. Um, they're actually based in the Ukraine. Um, Hebron mm -hmm. Soft, they've been an amazing partner, um, faith-based organization and an amazing mission. And then this is working with Hebron Soft. We over, you know, three to five months had our version one ready and I didn't have any go-to-market strategy. I had no plan whatsoever. I was like, oh, let's just see if people come, which is the worst thing you should do uh, or could <laughs> do with building technology. And then when I put it out there in February of 2021, I was really shocked that there was any organic traction, even 10 installs a day on average. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, people are actually looking for this. I wasn't running ads. People are just yeah. finding this thing. And then started to get my first 10 users, my first 100 users, and people reaching out to me, asking me questions. Hey, this isn't working, or thank you for doing this. And, blah. and I was like, oh, wow, 
this is pretty cool. And then about a year in, I was like, well, what am I actually doing right now? You know, so I have mm -hmm. a hand handful of a few hundred users. Like, I, I don't know. I'm still excited about this, but it, I, I really don't, I didn't have a plan. And then in the early t last year, I got accepted into an accelerator outside of Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, it's called Ocean. And they're a faith-based accelerator. And they brought on 10 companies into that uh, multi-month program where they kind of help you figure out these building blocks of mission and vision and revenue generation. And then we pitched to a group of investors and our demo day last year in Atlanta. And then after demo day, I got introduced to a group of, uh, I would later realize were my first institutional investors, AIM partners, Aslan is moving. And mm -hmm. they really started as mentors to me. It was just mm -hmm. like, hey, we love what we heard. We have a heart for investing in impact-based founders and businesses. And let's just talk. And one conversation turned into a second, turned into a 10th, 20th, 30th. And a year into this, um, you know, my, my engagement at IBM was plummeting. <laughs> it's not, it's not, a, it's not a surprise to anyone. The, la the last year and a half or so was really tough for me. And, yeah. um, you know, I think I was just like ripe for layoff and, um, yeah. IBM took real good care of me and I have no ill feelings for them. So then in May of this year, I got laid off just a few months ago. And it was at that point when Aslan, the, the AIM partners had said, Hey, we're going to make a decision as to whether or not to invest. And they said, yes. So they've invested capital that'll bring me until January, February or so. And right now we're testing pricing models. Lead me not has been a free app this entire time. Wow. Uh, and just in the last week and a half, we've been, Push, we pushed out pricing and people have been signing up and uh, some really encouraging and healthy conversion rates to start, which is also very, I don't know, Nate and, and Aaron, like as what you guys have seen for, for Samson, but um, I, I think what I've noticed is that perhaps out of desperation or perhaps out of like a deep, deep motivation, people will spend, consumers will spend money if they believe that whatever they're paying for is truly a solution to their problem. And when you yeah. say it out loud, it's like, well, duh, but like, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get people to pay for apps. Like it's not an easy yeah. thing. And yeah. what we've seen in a week and a half is that like, at least for now it's, we don't have enough data, but it's, it's very interesting. So like, I, man, if we, if we never become a profitable business, then I will still look back on this experience and say, wow, this has been in a really yeah. incredible feat for myself. But my goal is to become a revenue generating profitable business that truly can be the, the name lead me not synonymous with recovery, not just from sexual sin, but destructive. Yeah. I think, and I think one thing that we have certainly felt as well is you start this because of your heart for people and wanting to help them. Right. And then when you start putting money on it, which is necessary to make it work, it almost feels like you have to apologize for that because it's like, <laughs> hey, guys, just wanted to help you out. But there's some costs going on here and it can, be right, a, yeah. it can be a heart struggle and there can be the fear of, do people think I'm just using their sickness to 
profit yeah. off of them and those types of things, which I, I think uh, sensitive souls often struggle with in a position right. like yours. Hey, yeah. does, does this work on all devices? Like, will it work on a Chromebook? Will it work on Macs and everything out there? Or are you still working on that? Yeah, still working on that. So right now, just on Android and Chromebooks, actually, because I've had users. I didn't know until users started telling me. I'm running this on my Chromebook. And, you know, uh, I was like, well, that wasn't the original design. But if it's working for you, <laughs> go ahead. But uh, it's, not opt- it's not optimized for Chromebook. But, yeah, I mean... It's always, as you guys know, and Aaron, it's, it's always going to come down to time and money. And I purposely prioritize Android because it was more cost efficient, but also because, to my point earlier about data, you can't get this data on iOS. And I and I get why it's so locked down, but if, if to fund the original, to kind of fund the original vision, it's like we're going to need more data than anything else. So mm-hmm. let's optimize for that. So I started on Android. And it's been good again, you know. Traction-wise, it's you know, it's uh, it's been nice. Uh, but yeah, if if we can keep moving in a healthy, positive direction, then we should be able to truly build out a true platform, and a platform can run on multiple devices. Okay. Yeah. Well, Jason, how do people get get in touch with you or get to know what you're doing more? What's yeah. the portal into your information? Yeah, sure. So you could uh, email me at jason at leadmenot.org. You can go to leadmenot.org and submit a kind of contact form there or on Instagram and TikTok at leadmenotapp, none of which I manage for my own sanity. So if you reach out, <laughs> you know, if you reach out through those channels, someone else will see it and, and reach out to me. But uh, I definitely prefer email because I try to be pretty quick on it. So. That's good. And Lead Me Not is on the resource page at samsonsociety.org. All right. Well, hey, this is just one uh, quick thought I had. If if porn has been a cultural tsunami, the next destructive tsunami that I see coming right now and already carrying people away is the online gambling thing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. those uh, bookies, those bookmakers uh, are now, you know, the biggest advertisers in sports and there's billions of dollars being taken from uh, people. Is, is that something that lead me not can monitor? Uh, Right now, the only, we could technically, if you add those as websites and Mm -hmm. keywords to monitor, but we haven't optimized for that use case, but to, you know, I, because, I'm positioning this as a digital wellness platform. Yeah, that is absolutely the next use case to tackle, right? And think of any other kind of digital trackable habit, yeah. whether it's alcoholism with yeah. digital triggers, or like you said, gambling. But yeah, you could you can use it in a kind of uh, you can make it fit for what you're trying to do, but it won't be optimized for gambling. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. All right. Fascinating. Thanks again, Jason. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Whoa, 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 whoa. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. (laughs) I was wrapping up for that one. Okay. All right. It's good. Uh, Got to meet Jason in the past or have some conversations. How long ago was that? 
You know, it's uh, often it's it's been I think it's been about three years since he first made contact with me. Uh, it was uh, it was great today. Uh, the listeners obviously don't get to see him, but you and I got to see his face. So I got to I, until now he's just been a voice on the phone. But even back then, he impressed me with somebody who was serious about his own recovery. It was clear to me he was in this for a sense of mission, as not as a way to make money. And that he had identified a real need that uh, the advent of hookup apps had uh, were creating a real challenge for accessibility and accountability to people uh, seriously about sexual integrity. And uh, he had a proposed solution. Boy, so, I'll, t- I'll tell you, we, we got to hang out with someone this summer who was also younger and talked to us about those apps. And I, I think I never really thought they they worked as well as they seem to work to yeah to indulge just yeah. to gorge really yeah on yeah. Yeah. on those desires and passions um so yeah i'm super glad they weren't around well heck i was married when i was 19 so all my problems I were s- fixed <laughs> i s- now i don't know if this stat is accurate but i read a few months ago a statistic i don't know i cannot recall where it came from but it said that the average college student now has had six anonymous sex partners by graduation. And that's accomplished largely through hookup apps. Wow. Yeah. Oh, the consequences to our hearts that we aren't aware of at the time. Yeah. 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 Uh, There's a whole generation that's going to need a whole lot of healing. And you know what? People not of that generation I think it is a worthy thing for us to remember the future of our country and the body of Christ in our prayers and to be praying yeah. for them to have yeah. to have wisdom to be able to roll some of that tape forward even though they are just in the middle of the ocean with yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Well, it's been a it's been a great conversation. Glad we got a chance to uh, be together, Aaron. Yes, it's been it's been a minute since we've done this. <laughs> um, you know, we probably should bring the listeners up to speed a little bit on uh, your one month absence from the air. Uh, uh, even even though it won't be an absence for for them, since we have probably been rolling them out from six months ago. Yeah, but that's true. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, so when when we, boy, right when we got to New Mexico to head up to Colorado, I found out that my dad had a stroke and didn't really kind of spent that weekend in two different worlds, being with, with you guys and also being on the phone with family trying to figure out how serious it was and ended up heading home from Albuquerque, my old home, not the home I'm at now, heading back to California, where I got to spend about a week and a half uh, in the hospital with my dad. He wasn't conscious, and then he Mm. passed away, and I got to spend some more time setting up his memorial. But yeah, it was a very sudden thing, and I was glad to get to spend it with my mom. Yeah. Uh, The kids, other than my son that's still in California, were all here in Tennessee, so... Mm They had to function on their own for a month. Um, but yeah, that's been my last month and a half. Wow. 
I guess not a month and a half, a little more than a month. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's another one of those necessary losses. It's a milestone that, uh, none of us look forward to with anticipation. We're surprised when it happens. Uh, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old you are when you lose a parent, uh, you still become an orphan. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that I am at the beginning of even processing it. There was so much yeah. practical to do, um, to try yeah. to figure things out. But the, the strangest Thing was getting home. It was actually my birthday when we were at the retreat in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't tell people because I didn't want people singing or shit like that. <laughs> but my parents had already sent a birthday card that hadn't arrived until after I left. So when I came home at the top of a giant mail pile was oh. a birthday card from my parents. And my dad had written on the first side. My mom wrote on the other. And uh, it was like getting to, it wasn't like I got to hear him say, I love you one yeah. last unexpected oh, time. Oh, wow. What a beautiful gift, Aaron. So yeah, wow. that was, that meant the world. Yeah. So listeners, uh, if you have any questions or thoughts, uh, or want to write to us, go ahead. and. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no good transition there. No, no. Yeah. You can always reach us at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Justin is uh, back hard at work booking guests. We're filling up the calendar. Plenty of more episodes on the way, but this one is in the bank. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.